This episode is brought to you by Paycor, the HR and payroll software made for leaders. It's never been harder to recruit, hire, and engage workers. That's why HR leaders and frontline managers depend on Paycor for all things people management, from onboarding and performance reviews to compensation and benefits. Learn more at paycor.com leaders. Hello, Pharmacy Podcast Nation. My name is Dr. Chloe Gibbons, and I am thrilled to announce that I have officially joined forces with the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The last several months of 2020 were very busy for us. We were working behind the scenes to create a brand new platform for pharmacists, pharmacy students, and pharmacy industry professionals. Our first available series is entitled The NAPLEX Podcast, the first show dedicated to helping pharmacy students prepare to take the North American Pharmacist Licensure Examination. Each episode of the podcast will provide listeners with a thorough review of pharmacology and pharmacotherapy topics that were taught during the didactic portion of pharmacy school. I will be your host, guiding you through each review, and there are 70-plus episodes episodes for you to access while on the go. Thank you all so much for listening. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the Pain Pod. You want to see pain? Look at these. Welcome to The Pain Pod, the podcast for all things pain management, hosted by The Pain Guy, Dr. Mark Grofoli. We'll be collaborating with numerous pain management experts, talking about substance usage disorders, the latest treatment modalities, and most important, important, focusing on the pain of our patients as leading providers of pain care. And now, here's our host, a man wanted in all 50 states, a suburban city like Mountain Man, without the beard, from the hills of West Virginia, and certified in Weapons of Mass Destruction Response, it's Dr. Mark Garofoli. Welcome back, everyone, to the Pain Pod. Come one, come all to the Pain Pod. So here today, we're going to go over what I'd like to call the COVID Keto Guido. What in the world could we be talking about there? Wake up, Keto Guido! Wake up, Keto Guido! Wake up, Keto Guido! Yes, so we are, of course, all on the front lines of the COVID pandemic. And the keto we're talking here is part of Ketorolac. And, well, the Guido is just talking about some heritage of yours truly. So today, as we navigate through the COVID Keto Guido episode, let's just realize that we'll be talking about, well, this pain guy in pain. Early on within the pandemic... Uh, I'll go through the story here today, Uh, but you know, uh, pain transcends everywhere and everyone. So I just wanted to share the story here of what I went through early on in this pandemic uh, as a patient in pain. Now, when thinking about that, is it too soon to talk about COVID? Too soon, Junior. 
Well, perhaps too soon, but let's talk about, well, pain management in COVID or specifically even NSAIDs. Gosh, it hasn't been that long, but not long enough, right? Uh, since we heard in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, back in March of 2020, actually of uh, what's up with ibuprofen and COVID? Oh my goodness, all the hysteria, mass hysteria when it came to the use of an over-the-counter pain medicine and its uh, footnotes uh, within the COVID pandemic. Um, you know, so early on, that, that's we're talking there like March of 2020, you know, basically, uh, information that came from across the pond was uh, saying there's really no strong evidence at the time that uh, ibuprofen would make COVID-19 worse. Uh, but until then, and get this one, here's where we just, oh my goodness, we hit a home run in foul ball territory as healthcare professionals all the time. We'd say, well, you know, if you have to use something over the counter for pain, use paracetamol. Uh, for those of us, like, you know, almost all of us, that means acetaminophen, Tylenol, and whatnot. But the rest of the world calls it paracetamol. I digress. Anyways, uh, use that. But, you know, however, if you're currently utilizing ibuprofen or NSAID, we would say then, of course, to continue doing that. Think about that through a patient's eyes or ears, more apropos. Um, okay, don't use it if you're not. But if you are, yeah, keep that up. You know, if you put something else in that sentence... We get confusing. But folks, you know, wh what were the thinkings early on with that? Well, you know, you can think of the NSAID cascade and how there's more leukotrienes uh, that could pop up. Then you had the cytokine storm and all those concerns and whatnot. Uh, you could even jump forward to the concerns where it was, uh, you know, the ACE2 receptors in NSAIDs. And, you know, this is almost ancient history now, or just about a year old. Uh, but it's talking about how, you know, coronaviruses tend to uh, bind to or target those uh, ACE2 uh, receptors and so on and so on. Um, there was even, you know, there was studies over, I believe, in South Korea, uh, early 2020, uh, that were uh, basically showing observationally, you know, we're talking epidemiology, uh, the link between NSAID utilization and uh, negative outcomes, like even hospitalization and death. But, you know, the, the studies, you really got to look through the numbers and whatnot, and that gets tricky. But you know what's even trickier? Well, lo and behold, uh, you know, the second half of 2020 was when we actually had, uh, once again, across the pond. Uh, over in Europe, uh, there was the Liberate trial, still ongoing. It actually uh, it's set to complete on September 25th of this year, 2021. It's the same day I'm doing a TED Talk, by the way. Uh, WVU, my university uh, where I hail from and work, uh, we're doing a TEDx talk. Uh, we're going to be talking about pain and addiction. Go figure. Bet you didn't see that one coming, right? Anyways, looking forward to that TED Talk. So the Liberate trial was basically looking at the, um, the lipid formulation of ibuprofen, which, by the way, I could not figure out how to purchase. You know, when reading about the trial months and months ago, I thought, I got to get my hands on some of that. Uh, the intent of what they utilize over in Europe is just to be a little bit easier on the stomach. More on that to come, of course. Uh, but the idea is that we'll see if, well, you know, early on we thought ibuprofen might be uh, one of the, the negative parts of COVID. And they're also studying it for, for you know, the possible treatments along the way. So, you know, the, we're all over the place. But that, that's early on COVID. You know what early on COVID meant to me? Oh, good golly. Reminded me of uh, fishing with my dad when I was like 15 or 16 and he was around the bend in a river. His first day of trout. And you don't miss that, folks. The show must go on. And then all of a sudden I heard a loud noise that I thought was my father being attacked by a bear because I couldn't figure out what else it would be. Uh, but it turns out he was passing a kidney stone in the middle of a river. And yes, you, you got to go to the open day of trout because you don't miss that. 
Uh, well, what's that got to do with, you know, the price of tea in China? Well, not much, but uh, that came back to haunt me on Friday the 13th during the COVID pandemic when my wife and toddler had to drop me off at the ER. I hung out there for a couple hours uh, while mitigating through what eventually was found to be a kidney stone. But thinking back to those fishing times, you know, they say fishing is best where fewest fish. Yeah, unless there's a bear around, right? Or perhaps even a kidney stone. So back in that time there, um, early pandemic, again, Friday the 13th, COVID pandemic. In the Girlfully household, what we do on Fridays, we get a little wild and crazy. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's When we're making homemade pizzas, of course, every Friday night. Well, that particular Friday night, I couldn't handle the pain of putting the pizza in the oven, for crying out loud. So I went to sit on the couch, that didn't help. Leaned up against the fireplace, that didn't help. Within minutes uh, later on, then my wife and toddler were taking me to the ER. And boy, what a, what a fun trip that could be, right? Well, when you're welcome to the ER, you know, oh, by the way, during a pandemic, you know, the first thing they would ask then, and this is not getting political, folks, this is like early days of the pandemic as we know it in our country, but of course you walk in and get the would you like a mask idea. You know, think back at the time there, you've got, uh, you know, even U.S. Surgeon General saying stop buying the things, folks. And then, you know, fast forward to uh, almost current day when it's uh, saying that, well, if you're fully vaccinated, you you don't have to wear the mask, you, you know, various other things. We we know all of what's going on, right? But how do you regulate that? Think about that. Kind of makes me think about the CDC guidelines for opioids back in 2016, primarily meant for primary care, yet utilized everywhere. Amazing how these things come back uh, to get us. Uh, so yeah, so walking into that ER was kind of like... Welcome to the jungle. All right, so my experience in the ER. Well, of course, we were taking vitals as the second thing you see as soon as you come in. And well, I'm not gonna go over the specifics for my blood pressure, but let's just say top and bottom were up 30 each. And then of course I was asked, good sir, how would you rate your pain? Uh, two thumbs up, right? Um, well, besides the fact that I'm in the ER during a pandemic, um, well, my blood pressure was up 30 universally, right? But, you know, the, the question was multiple choice 1 to 10, so I couldn't say 30. That would be preposterous. So I said 8.5. Why 8.5? What are you thinking there, Marco? Well, yeah, you give a half a point to pregnancy, uh, the labor, and delivery. You give another half a point to the bears I talked about earlier if you're getting mauled by a bear. And as uh, one of my favorite comedians, Brian Reagan, says, yeah, I give the broken femur a little bit of credit there, too. So I said 8.5. No one laughed. And then you fast forward, uh, well... Oh, nice long three hours later in that ER all-inclusive visit. Ran a CT scan and they found out I had a seven millimeter bullet, I mean kidney stone, from Hades, right? Seven millimeters, folks. Yeah, imagine passing a seven mm bullet, right? So how does one get to that? Well, nephrolithiasis, that's the fancier version of saying kidney stone, an even fancier version of saying, ouch. Well, there's different types of kidney stones, of course. You've got cysteine, struvite, phosphate, xanthine, urate, and perhaps the most common, and the one I had was oxalate. Well, how do you get to that? Well, first and foremost, you gotta, you know, especially for anyone who's had a kidney stone or anyone looking to prevent one, you gotta limit your salt in your diet. Pretty tough thing when uh, you've got a character like myself who loves tomatoes, maters in the summer, pour salt all over them. Oh my goodness. Yeah, well, that's gotta stop apparently. Uh, since I've got a urologist and a nephrologist now, um, and a five-year-old that's always watching me, uh, gotta, gotta limit that now. Uh, other things, as far as the oxalate side goes, you gotta certainly watch. Popeye, move it over, bud. You're never eating spinach again. Like, 
a quarter inch of spinach can give you the equivalent of like everything else in an average diet any day when it comes to oxalate. Watch out for the rhubarb and rice bran as well. Various other things like almonds, um, potatoes, and whatnot. Um, you got to watch them there, of course. So back to the back to the matter at hand here, the story of the wonderful visit to the ER. So once we knew it was a seven mm uh, kidney stone, um, got some I M Ketorolac to the rescue. Whew, man, that uh, that cleared things up a little bit and let me uh, breathe again per se. And then I was discharged, of course, with. Uh, a couple small pills, uh, things like a, a generic uh, Tylenol-3, some generic Flomax, and some generic Zofran, all for their immediate purposes, of course. And then I stroll on over to the 24-hour pharmacy to get these things filled and, well, uh, was asked, please sign here. I mean, they didn't even use the question that's debatable on do you have any questions. They didn't provide any information like, oh, I don't know, maybe this thing might constipate you because it's got codeine in it. Uh, even though it's uh, relatively observed to be low potency, it still has a much higher chance of uh, constipation compared to many, if not most, other prescription opioids. Oh, and on top of that, uh, everything was put in 40 dram vials. Now, that, that's like, you know, everybody knows how big those things are, right? It, it's like you're, you're using those large binoculars that you're going to be looking for birds, but you got like, you know, a dozen tiny little pills. That, that's kind of awkward for the pills. Anyways, um, and then, of course, uh, within 12 hours of leaving the pharmacy, my PBM, oh my gosh, did he just say a bad word? Yeah, my pharmacy benefits manager, my PBM texted me about signing up for the three-month plan mail order for acute pain medicines. All right, so six days later, I stroll on over to my urology uh, follow-up, and uh, they talked about the whole uh, lithotripsy option, which was not a thing for me because the stone was, uh, by their statements, too large. I, I know people that have had larger even, uh, but anyways, too large to do that, so you, you got to actually go in. So um, the uh, healthcare professional was explaining it to me, and after a very good two-minute um, discussion, uh, one way on that and listening, I just kind of looked at him and said, um, just to clarify, you have to go into my urethra and silence. Yep, so that's how that went. But three days later, well, the whole surgery was canceled because of COVID concerns. It was a non-emergency, even though non-elective surgery. Uh, I was instructed that if it's experiencing incredible pain, simply go to the ER for emergency surgery. Okay, so we have to wait until it's an emergency to do it, even though we're doing the same thing? Oh boy. So, 10 Long weeks later, I stroll on into the hospital with my goggles and my mask and everything we got going on, of course, in respect to the pandemic, and uh, eventually get on the gurney, and uh, the anesthesiology team comes over, and, well, I found out uh, I should talk to them about Special K. Yeah, ketamine, you know, adjuvant for, well, anesthesiology and pain and whatnot, and uh, turns out my anesthesiologist was actually the brother of the anesthesiologist I had when I got my deviated nasal septum fixed, and they gave me ketamine, and I had them drop their jaws to the ground when I said, oh, you're giving me special K. Whew, the stigma was abound. Anyways, uh, this particular anesthesiologist loved it because it was his brother that was the original one. Long story short, when I woke up on the gurney, whoo, that hurt. Um, tons of pain, tons and tons of pain. I was already um, given fentanyl. I was then given oxycodone and acetaminophen, nothing. Then given vitamin D, I mean hydromorphone, nothing. So to clarify folks, fentanyl, oxycodone, hydromorphone did not take care nor touch my pain. And then they decided to listen to the pharmacist on the gurney. 
with the help of the nurse next to the gurney. And we went with Ketorilac. Alright, so a little bit about Ketorilac here, of course. Uh, there's uh, basically about seven different uh, structural classes of all the NSAIDs we have at our disposal. And uh, uh, ketoprofen is going to be one of the propionic acids. But uh, what about it? Uh, well, you could actually look into the name since it has a ketone in it. That's the beginning of the ketorolac or the keto guido here as we were talking today. What the heck is it used for? Well, um, post-op, cha-ching. Um, in the ER, cha-ching. Migraines, sickle cell exacerbations, uh, if there's any uh, substance use disorder concerns perhaps. When's it not used? Uh, Pre-op or intra-op? Definitely not in those cases. And certainly not labor and delivery. And if there's any renal or GI issues as well. Gotta really watch with the elderly population, those 65 and older as well. And even though it's utilized many a times in the hospital setting, you always gotta remember to run that CBC first. How's it working? Well, like other NSAIDs, of course, within the overall cascade, touch bit more specific than corticosteroids, but not that much. You know, the, the really big debate is, oh my goodness, COX-1 versus COX-2, right? You got the heart, you got the tummy, and you got NSAIDs, and it's a battlefield. It's bigger than the Civil War, folks. So, uh, COX-1 selective NSAIDs, um, or the, some might say non-selective, uh, that's happy heart, upset tummy. Uh, I'm dumbing this down for everyone, of course, but then you got COX-2 selective and you got happy tummy, not so happy heart, right? And there's various studies out there that go into that um, in more detail. There's, of course, uh, there's one from, and I'll provide these all within the description of this program here today in episode, but uh, in 2000, we, we had the COX-1 to COX-2 ratios where ketoprofen was shown to be uh, one of the highest COX-1 ratios. Uh, then you go uh, to 2008, uh, another uh, wonderful pain guy who's out there, Dr. Uh, Chris Herndon, as uh, a primary author, had a study come out showing pretty much same things, just in reverse of the COX-2 to COX-1 ratios with Ketorolac leading the pack uh, when it came to COX-1 um, along the way. And then uh, there's even a 2010 study that just uh, shows how Ketorolac had the highest GI bleeding relative risk. So, you know, in essence, we really got to be watching the tummy, right? That's one of the big things. So in doing that, there's always, uh, you know, for other utilizations, you got to watch uh, the GI protective medications, your H2 blockers, your PPIs, your misoprostol. Um, uh, watch age on people, whether they smoke or drink alcohol, previous history of ulcers, all those things. We got to, you know, put into the case of the patient here. But back to my buddy here, Ketorolac, all right? Uh, that, that's, uh, it's or most of us are going to see the utilization with oral tablets. Uh, they're approved uh, only for use after IV or IM initiation. And that leaves us kind of wondering, well, what do we do if they haven't, the patient hasn't had it that way before? Well, that would be considered off-label, folks, and we need to watch with that, but we do a lot of other things off-label too, right? But no matter what, you gotta remember not to use it for more than five days. There's the GI, heart, and kidney concerns. Uh, and those are the things you're gonna wanna review prior to the utilization. Which always reminds me of uh, what I call the, and I've done this in CEs before actually, is the NSAID dozen, technically even more than a dozen. What do you take into account when selecting which NSAID? Yeah, the, the big question first off is to NSAID or not to NSAID. Way to go, Hamlet. But then what? 
So things I recommend uh, taking into account here, acute or chronic pain, what other uh, medical condition or situation we've got going on here, if there's any patient preference or even healthcare professional preference on the formulation, we want to inject it, topical, oral. Uh, if we have any cardio, GI, or palm concerns along the way, remember those leukotrienes for pulmonary. Uh, if anybody's got any dosage frequency preference, take that into account, you know, how many times a day. Uh, if they've got any procedures like interventional pain procedures or any others where you got to discontinue the NSAID with uh, bleeding risks. Uh, any, uh, speaking of cardio side of things, if somebody's utilizing the cardio uh, protective aspirin, um, if somebody wants over-the-counter versus prescription, if somebody's worried about cost, it isn't everybody, right? And then of course, age, child or adult. And you might want to throw on for the baker's dozen pregnancy status as well too, of course. So, Ketorolac, what can we say about that? Well, in general, Half-Life, we're looking at about five hours. Um, relative to other NSAIDs, most NSAIDs, many, have concerns for CYP450-2C9 metabolism. I know we're getting more technical here now, but um, with Ketorolac, we're not on that avenue because uh, there's hydroxylation and conjugation, but, you know, big picture, with its utilization usually being short-term anyway, not a huge thing, but we do have to keep that in mind uh, along the way there as well. Um, and then, you know, of course, there's the IVIM dosage like I got to experience in the ER on Friday the 13th, uh, 2020. And then, uh, of course, there's the oral utilization uh, for after that IVIM therapy. And then there's the off-label dosing that uh, anyone can find out there in a couple articles. I'll, I'll share them along the way in the description, of course, but uh, really age-dependent. That's the big thing. And uh, again, this is all off-label, but um, and not really not recommending ever to use for someone less than two years old, but then very, very intricate weight-based uh, for those as the age increases for any patient. What the heck do we have available uh, as far as Ketorolac? We already talked about the injection ideas, the IMIV, and then of course the tablets. They're 10 milligrams, generic only, pretty straightforward. Turns out we also have eye drops, um, the Acular, Acuvale, um, various strengths, add an LS in there as well too. And then there's also nasal spray. Less frequently seen and also less frequently known about, uh, but there's the generic and the Sprix. Uh, it's 15.75 milligrams per actuation. Uh, so there's a Ketorolac nasal spray as well. All right, folks, random pop quiz here. Let's have a pop quiz in a podcast. Podcast pop, right? All right, so how do you go about explaining to a patient the co-utilization of aspirin and an NSAID? And here we're talking timing. Like, does it matter when they take them? Of course it matters when they take them. Well, let me give you the answer to the pop quiz. Um, if, if utilizing aspirin, you know, your 81 milligram aspirin, cardioprotective, and any of the NSAIDs, you'd want to take the aspirin two hours before the NSAID or the NSAID four hours before the aspirin. It's so simple and straightforward, right? Yet when you're standing out in the aisle counseling somebody, it gets complicated remembering it amongst the other 10,000 medicines, right? Uh, so good things to keep in mind overall. All right, and then with the utilization of NSAIDs overall, one of the big, I, I did an internship at the beach once. Um, uh, shout out to all those that were, you know, at OCMD uh, back in the day, providing pharmaceutical care, of course, and enjoying the beach. But uh, what a better way to have it pounded in your head to go over photosensitivity uh, medication related with our patients, especially in the summer. Best time, right? Or if people are using tanning beds, of course, too. So NSAIDs are in that group. You got to watch with photosensitivity. So just want to add that in as a gentle little reminder for all patients and healthcare professionals alike. But perhaps Boz Lerman says it best. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen.
If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. And just as Baz said it there, it all comes down to what do we do about this NSAID photosensitivity? Wear some sunscreen, folks. Reapply it every hour. Not a hypocrite. I know that's hard to do. If you nail it every hour and a half, it's better than every four hours, right? All right. So moving onward from just good old Ketorolac and NSAIDs uh, back into the ending, per se, of my uh, COVID kidney stone story. Uh, once I had the uh, surgery done, I got a catheter placed uh, from my kidney to my bladder. Uh, and I was instructed that it's a 50-50 chance coin flip on whether it would not hurt at all or even know that it's there or be the worst pain you ever had in your life. Talk about some options, right? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yours surely had worst pain I could ever describe in my life. Oh my goodness, for two weeks. Uh, then when getting that thing out, oh, I walked into the center and all of a sudden they were playing Friends in Low Places. Good old Garth Brooks. Cause I got friends in low places. And if that wasn't enough, then they played Wide Open Spaces by the Dixie Chicks. And then I was uh, able to have the procedure while awake to have the catheter removed. I'm going to save you it all, folks. Here's how I describe that. Oh, my. And afterwards, then I tried to uh, attempt a, a nap uh, with our toddler later in the day. And I couldn't even do that because I had a PTSD-like scenario where, oh, my goodness, that was, that was a little insane today. But we move on and we all grow better uh, from all of our experiences, whether it's healthcare professionals and patients. And I just want to make sure that everybody could help their patients, especially with kidney stones, but really with pain in general. You know, it, it, not everything hits home until it hits home, right? Uh, so here we are in the pain pod talking about this COVID kidney stone adventure. Um, there's also actually with uh, my friends at freece.com, there's a CE story you can do in this same idea here. Uh, pain Week, my, my friends over at Pain Week, amazing folks. Uh, they actually featured this story overall much more at length for both of these adventures uh, in the Pain Week Journal. It was the fourth quarter of 2020. And yours truly will be discussing this in a full CE at Pain Week this year in Las Vegas in September. Uh, so yes, lots of things coming up between Pain Week and various online CEs, and of course the TED Talk coming up at the end of September. Hope to uh, have, have some of you listening from abroad. But here today, just wanted to bring up within this episode of the Pain Pod, just explaining pain guy in pain. Now, folks, you perhaps you enjoyed and perhaps you're on the edge of your seat, even though you only paid for the whole seat uh, for this COVID kidney stone story. Uh, but next time, next time we're going to have a little bit uh, different scenario here. We're going to be going back into the, uh, the courtroom or the DEA scenarios and whatnot and really talking about law when it comes to controlled substances, of course, prescription opioids and whatnot with the illustrious Dr. David Brushwood. You all know him, of course. Everybody in the country does. We're going to sit down with Dr. Brushwood and we're going to go over um, um, some really pertinent questions when it comes to pain management so that you could hear it first here on the pain pod. So so come one, come all to the next episode of the Pain Pod. If you'd like to join Mark on the Pain Pod, send us an email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. And make sure to share the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. Thanks for listening.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.